Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Hey, turn around and give somebody else a high five and tell them you are God's favorite. John 17, 23 uh, says that Jesus is one of my favorite uh, passages, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Have you ever noticed you say that about every chapter? Uh, boy, this is one of my favorite. And, uh, but one of, it's, it's one of my favorite because it's this intimate picture of Jesus. It's just him praying to his Father about us. And in John 17, 23, he says, and Father, you love them as much as you love me. And sometimes we struggle with thinking I'm really God's favorite. But how many of you know Jesus is his favorite? Yeah, okay. All right. Well, then what, listen to what Jesus said. And Father, you love them as much as you love me. So we don't have any problem saying, well, Jesus is his favorite. But Jesus said, well, you're his favorite too. And so give somebody else a high five and say, you know, you really are his favorite. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and just to give you an, uh, a heads up, you got the short end of the stick. Uh, the best looking and the best speaker is at the North Campus, uh, is my wife Cheryl. Uh, she's there today, and she's, I'm sure she's blowing it up and, and, uh, and has having a great time. Uh, Cheryl and I, this November, Cheryl and I will have been married 40 years, and uh, yeah, and it gets better every day. Uh, she is still the best looking woman in the world, and she is still, our marriage just gets, I mean, it, it, in all areas, it's great. And so I'm just telling you guys, if you aren't there yet, just keep looking forward to it because it just gets better and better and better. Uh, uh, and, you know, I used to, we have this couple in our church that have been married 60 years now. And he just looks at her, every time he looks at her, you just see this passion in him. And, and, uh, and, and I just, I look at them and I say, I want a marriage like that. And I think that we as the body of Christ, that people ought to be looking at our lives all the time and going, I want that. I want that. I want that. And, uh. And so, uh, and what I want to share with you some today is some things about, you know, how do we have those kind of lives? How do we, this year, I, I believe, I've been teaching this at our church all year, this, this can be your best year yet. It's not going to be your best year ever because if Jesus delays and doesn't come back, next year is going to be even better. But this can be your best year yet if you'll make sure it's your best spiritual year. If you'll make sure it's your best spiritual year. And I know Pastor Ben and Pastor Katie have been teaching and sharing on how you can do that and some tools on, on how you can make sure you have the best spiritual year. And I'm just going to give you a guarantee. You will have your best year yet if you have your best spiritual year. You know, Paul said uh, that physical exercise profits a little. And, you know, I've been noticing because we've been around San Diego for a week now. This is our first time here. And I'm a little concerned about getting Cheryl back. Uh, she'll come back. She told me the other day, she said, no, no, I'll come back, but it'll be May. Uh, Cheryl hates winter. She doesn't mind fall. She doesn't mind spring. She loves summer, but she hates winter. And so we've apparently picked the week of all weeks to come to San Diego in February. So we've been on the beach a lot. And so I understand that physical exercise does profit you if you live in San Diego because everybody wears wetsuits. And, and, and I've always, I didn't put one on all week because I've always envisioned myself in a wetsuit. I keep thinking if you saw a turtle out of his shell, that's probably similar to what I would look like in a wetsuit. But Paul says, so spiritual exercise does profit a little, but, but spiritual exercise takes you to a whole nother level. Somebody say a whole nother level. Now, some of you are probably un having a, uh, trouble understanding what I'm saying. This is English. It is just the southern dialect. And so if you need help with it, punch somebody and they'll translate for you uh, today. And, and it, it'll be a little slower. Contrary to popular belief, it is not dumber. It's just slower. Uh, and... Uh, and so I'm excited to be with you. Don't y'all have the most amazing pastors in the world? The first time we met Ben and Katie, it was, it was just, uh, we were blown away. It was love at first sight. We met them in a, at an ARC Association of Related Church thing, and we were actually a, a part of an assessment team trying to determine if the couples that were coming through there had ARC DNA, would they be good ARC plants, and and uh, we just connected with them on such a 
divine basis. I believe in divine flow. I believe there are people that God directs into your life that you're supposed to do life together for the rest of your life, even if one of them's in San Diego and one of them's in the metropolis of Villarica. I love what Ben says. says, well, more than 10% of our town comes to our church. More than 10% of our zip code comes to our church. Our whole zip code is 13,900 people. And our church, now I'll give you a disclaimer. Our church has about 2,200 members. On any given Sunday, there's about 1,200 of them show up. If they all showed up at once, it's like any church. If they all showed up at once, there's not enough chairs for everybody. It's just like there are people who say Canvas is their church, and you might see them once a month, you might see them once a quarter, you might see them once a year. But if, they, if somebody asked them, do you have a church, they'd say, yeah, I go to Canvas. And uh, we have those too, but just average attendance we have, we have on, on our weekend celebrations, about 1,200, 12, it goes 12, it go up to about 1,500, back down to about 12. So, so yeah, it's more than 10%. I always heard churches like that existed. I had never got to be a part of one. And out of disaster in our lives, God birthed that. And uh, which is just, I'm just, another thing of just telling you, I, I believe in Galatians 6, 9, the law of guaranteed harvest, that if you just won't quit, you will get the harvest. That most people don't get what God's got for them because they quit before it gets there. And Galatians 6, 9 says, if you just won't weary, if you just won't quit, if you just won't give up, you will reap a harvest. And I don't know what it is you're believing for, but I, I was telling you this. Maybe it's, it's your, hey, I want to finish school, or, or God's, I'm trying to get direction from God about my school or my university, or, or maybe about my relationships, or maybe, maybe about my marriage, or, or about my business decisions, or, or, or a new job. I'm just telling you, if you just won't quit, following hard after God, you will get God's best in your life. You will get God's best in your life. And, and in fact, today, I believe, as we were praying before, uh, the word that just kept coming to me is, and that's the way the Lord does it with me, He just drops these words in. I hear voices. Do y'all hear voices? Everybody hears voices. It's only the crazy people who don't hear voices. Everybody hears voices, you know, and we have the voice of God and we have the voice of an enemy. You have God who wants good for you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to give you rich and satisfying life. The message translation says more and better life than you dreamed existed. Real and eternal life. And, and so we have that voice that's trying to direct our steps toward God's destiny for us. And then we have another voice. We, have a, we share a mutual enemy with God. We have a mutual enemy who does not want you to have God's best. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't want you to have righteousness. He doesn't want you to have joy in your life. And that enemy is, is a mutual enemy. We share him with God. He's devil. Uh, he's Satan. It's all the powers of hell. And, and the thing, this is the reason I love the church. We are part of the church. And Jesus says, I will build my church and even ga the gates of hell, even the authority, the words gates always mean, it says even the authority of hell cannot stop you. And so I can't think of any place I'd rather be than part of the local church because it's the place, listen, I love Waffle House, but Jesus didn't start Waffle House. This is, you're sitting today in a local gathering of, of believers. Jesus, this is the institution that Jesus himself started. It is the most powerful place on the planet. It is the place I want to be. It is the place where I find the power to live my life. That I, so it's the place that teaches me through the connections God gives me, through the word God gives me, through the, through the teaching, and through just the gathering together, iron sharpening iron. It is the thing that empowers me to have a great marriage. It empowers me to be a good father, a good grandfather. It empowers empowers me to be a good husband. It empowers me to make good decisions as a leader, as a businessman. As a, as it, it, all those things I find in the local church. It is the best place. I love the church. Jesus loves the church. And I just, I, sometimes I get so angry at people. Just, you know, I understand the world and our enemy that we share with Jesus coming against the church. The thing I don't understand is why does the church, why do, why do we come against ourselves? You ever, you, ever, you ever notice that or hear yourself saying, well, the church did this and the church did that? And I'm just telling you something. The church is, is perfect. The church is, I think, is, is it Becca? Is that your name? What a great job the worship team did. Can we give the worship team a hand? Yeah. What a great job they did up there. 
But Becca said, you know, the church, of, it's, we're the bride of Christ, the church, we're glorious, we're without spot, we're without blemish. In his eyes, we're perfect. The church has never hurt anybody, the church has never let anybody down, the church has never abused or misused anybody, the church has never burned up anybody or burned out anybody. Religion and people do that, but the church has never done that. The church is glorious, and it is the place to be on this planet, and anybody that disengages from the church, I just got to ask yourself, how dumb can you be and still breathe I mean you just I mean it's just really why would you disconnect from the source of your destiny is here on this earth you know and I hear people say well you know well I love the I love Jesus but I just don't like the church well, that's like I mean that's another one this just I mean really that goes in the list of that's just dumb it's like somebody telling me Tony I really like you but I don't like your wife well I got news for you we're not going to hang out much. Hey, tell Jesus, well, I like you, but I just don't like your bride. And he's just going to tell you, well, I tell you what, I'll hang out a lot. My bride's my best friend. And, I mean, you know, and so I just connected to the church is so important, so important. And I want to talk just for a few minutes about, and, and, and I felt as the word the Lord gave me as I was praying is, is, that today, is blockages. And here's what I felt like the Lord said. He said, there are people today that there are blockages between them and their destiny. There are things that are, that are stopping them that every time they try to fall in love with my word, there are things that stop them. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Or, or, you know, it's too hard for me to read. Or it, it just, you know, I don't get all the symbolism. And, you know, I, I don't know what the blockages are. But, and he says, and, and every time they try to fall in love with the with their church there are blockages there are distractions there are things that come there are offenses you know jesus said blessed are you when you when you don't take an offense the offense will come he says but you'll be blessed if you'll learn not to take it you know, I, I i i love being i think it's important that we learn how to forgive but i think man there's a whole nother level for us of what if we became unoffendable what if we became unoffendable? And, and, and see, a lot of times an offense becomes a blockage to you having all of what God's got for you. You know, there are people that when, when Pastor Katie stood up here and said, hey, I want to invite you to, to uh, uh, Discovery 301, there are some of you who had a blockage immediately and said, I, I'm not doing that, I don't go there. I've done one of those assessment things where they assess your personality and your gifts, and, and I'm just not going to, I'm not in. So you've, you've developed a blockage because of some experience and and we have blockages that will that will that will stop us from from connecting with each other in small groups i mean listen some people are just terrified of small groups you know it's, we, we're about to launch our, a big set of small groups at our church and and we started addressing you know and i asked them i said of all the things because we believe there's four key habits uh, that God wants in the church is that love your word, love your church, love the large, large gatherings, love the small gatherings, connecting with each other around the table of Christ, and in loving prayer. And I believe there are blockages to all four of those. And we asked them, of all those, says, which one is the most challenging to you? And overwhelmingly, small groups were the most challenging to them. And I said, you know, and the reasons were fear. Well, I'm, a, you know, I'm uncomfortable, and so I'm just going to tell you this, you know, in small group, if you'll start in a small group, if you'll go three weeks from now, you won't be as uncomfortable as you were the first week. You'll probably still be uncomfortable, but you won't be as uncomfortable. But here's the deal. Are you going to let uncomfortable stop you? If you'll remember when Moses was setting up the camp uh, for Israel after they came out of Egypt, and after they came out of slavery, first thing God did was told him how to set up a camp. And remember, he said, okay, and all the children of Israel, here's where your camp is. And if you remember, where was the tent of meeting? It was outside the camp. If Moses, if the children of Israel wanted to meet with God, they had to go outside of their comfort zone to meet with God. And God will always call you outside of your comfort zone to meet with Him, to live in His presence. And in His presence is where you're going to find your best life. And, and so, so you just called Him out. And, and so today, I believe there are blockages today for people to say, you know, in, in getting all that God has for you at Canvas Church. And, and I believe there are blockages in prayer. Time Magazine did a, a, a poll in 2013 of the 10 things Americans, uh, from, people from the states would want most. If they, the 10 things they said, if I could just know how to do this, 10 things I wish I knew how to do. And on that list, in between, I wish I knew how to make great French toast 
and I thought it was interesting, it was two French things, uh, in between great French toast and I wish I knew how to do a French braid, which is a hair thing, I guess. It's in between French toast and French braid was I wish I knew how to pray. So it was on the, the list for us people from the States, top ten things of lists of things they wish they knew how to do was pray. And in fact, if you look, it's the only thing in the Bible that Jesus' disciples ask him to show them how to do. It's the only thing, of all the things they did with Jesus, it's the only thing they stopped him and said, show us how to do that. And it wasn't they were asking him that they didn't know how to pray. It was they, they did not know how to pray like he prayed. How do you pray with that kind of intimacy? How do you pray with that kind of authority? How do you pray? And, and Jesus gave them this pattern for prayer. I noticed you have it out there on your daily prayer card, a, a pattern for prayer. And so maybe that's a blockage for you. I, I would encourage you today, if that's a blockage, just take their little, the prayer card and start praying day one. Pray the, it's a great pattern because that's how you overcome a blockage to prayer is get a pattern and start following a pattern until you start hearing the promptings because there's three P's that make up. Y'all can tell I'm a pastor because we do everything that starts with the same letter all the time. Okay, okay. So prayer, there's three P's that will help you be great in prayer is, is, is pattern, promptings, and passion. Is if you'll just start a pattern of prayer. I pray every day over myself. I pray that the sevenfold spirit of God will be in me and through me. That Jesus says that the spirit of worship, that the spirit of intimacy, that the spirit of, of, of power and might, the spirit of, of, of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit, you know, the counsel, the ability to make a good decision. Did you know that one good decision will lead you out of a lifetime of bad decisions? One good decision will lead you out of a lifetime of bad decisions. You know, you ever been lost in the woods and you started circling? All it took was one good decision to get you unlost. And, and so I pray, man, I, God, I want the spirit of counsel, the ability to make a good decision in my life. I, and so I pray those. It's just a little pattern I use. And as I started praying it, then what I started hearing was these promptings. I started hearing the Holy Spirit beginning to direct me in specific promptings of how to pray. And then when I heard his promptings and actually figured out it really was him, that, uh, that voice, because which, you remember we got the two voices, and, and whichever voice you honor is the voice, whichever voice you give weight to is the voice that will direct your steps. You have a voice that's always going to tell you you're going to fail. Anybody ever heard that one? You're not going to fail. You're not going to make it. Hey, you don't do that. You'll never, you can never do that. It's too hard. You ever heard that voice? It's too hard. Don't go, to, go, don't go on and pursue that dentistry thing because it's too hard. Okay, well, has God got it for me or not? That's the voice I want to hear. Give weight, give weight, whichever voice you give weight to. And the voice, there's another voice that's saying, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. You can do all things. Greater is he who is in you than anything you're going to face in this world, that you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not below. You're not going under. You're going over. That you are the apple of God's eye. You are the pearl of great price. That he paid everything to get you. That you are of value. That yes, we were. Listen, we were worthless, but he he swapped the priceless for the worthless, and now I am of great worth to God because he swapped the priceless for the worthless. Nobody else would make the trade, but God made it. And, and, and so you you got to start giving weight to that voice of who you are in Christ. And, and if you notice, if you start giving weight to that voice, you quit hearing this other voice so much. And the people who. The people who fail all the time, what are they doing? They're giving weight. Listen, I'm just going to tell you something. There are some of you in here today that God has been trying to get you to make a business move that's going to bring millions into the kingdom, but because you have failed before, you have, you, you are afraid, you, you're afraid and you're letting that be a blockage to you. That God, this year, I'm telling you something, there's supernatural provision available to the body of Christ this year. I was seeing this in December as I was praying for the body of Christ. That, that you know, I've invested, I'm heavily invested in the kingdom of God. I don't know about y'all, but I, I am heavily invested in the kingdom of God. I, you know, I don't have savings accounts. I, I'm, everything Cheryl and I have had, we've been church planting for 20, 30 years now. So when you're a church planter, everything you own is invested into the kingdom of God. 
And, and, and so, well, I'm heavily invested in the kingdom of God. And some of you are like me. You have given and given and given. And how many of you know you haven't seen the 60, 80, 100-fold return yet? And God just showed me a, a vision this year in, in December as I was praying for our church. He said, look, there is multitudes of blessing laid up in the second heavenlies waiting for somebody to lay hold of it. And I'm going to release it this year into the body of Christ. Position yourself to receive it. You know, I'm just telling you, somebody here today, God's been speaking to you and he is looking for ways to release millions of dollars into Canvas Church. He's looking for that and that's through people. And, and so I just encourage you, we got to get rid of some of the blockages that are in our life. And I could go on and on forever. I can talk till the cows come home, till your eyes all glaze over and, and all that, but I'm not going to do that. I just want to talk to you just for a second about... Are you, are you empowering your destiny or are you empowering your dysfunction? Are, and all the connections in your life, are they empowering your destiny or are they empowering your dysfunction? Uh, Ephesians 2.10, I believe it's your church's verse. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things, the good things He planned for us long ago. Now, I want you to get this. That's your destiny. What, are the, what is your destiny? It's the things he planned for you long ago. You're not an accident, nor are you an incident. You're here on purpose, with a purpose, for his purpose. And, and it, you're not an accident. You're not an incident. It, well, you know, you say, well, my parents didn't even plan me, or I was a, I'm a result of a rape or abuse. You know, that's how my mom got pregnant. Hey, you are not an accident or an incident. You are here on purpose, with a purpose, and it's his purpose. And he planned it for you. Did he plan for that to happen that way? No, because God's plans for us are good. But he will use what was meant to harm us to bring about good. God is always, he's dynamic, he's always on the move. He never quits working on behalf of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You understand that verse that we quote all the time? Well, God is, is taking bad things and making them work for our good. You've got to finish the verse. He is, he is, God is always working to bring about good for those who love him and are called or pursuing their destiny. You quit pursuing your destiny, you just disengaged from that power of that verse. And so you've you got to re-engage with your destiny. And a lot of us, instead of pursuing our destiny, the things God has called for us, the things God had planned for us long ago, we're pursuing our dysfunction. Well, what is dysfunction? I used to be a, a, a child therapist. I worked with kids with behavior problems. And, and they were dysfunctional. But I, 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 dysfunction doesn't mean that you don't function. It means you function dangerously. And, and in fact, if you look up the word dysfunction, you'll see Ashmore beside it. Because my whole family, well, I mean, I'm the only, my mom, my, my mom had two brothers. My dad had four brothers and sisters. They've all, they're all married. They all have kids. And, and out of all of that multitude of people, I am the only sober person in my family. An Ashmore family reunion, we didn't consider it a good family reunion unless we had a fight break out. If it was peaceful, everybody was upset because this is not the way Ashmore's get together. And, and so I remember when I was a kid, my uncle had got a brand new Thunderbird. And I remember we were at my other uncle's house in downtown Atlanta, and, and it's a family reunion, and sure enough, the fight breaks out, and, the, and my uncle's house we were at took his uh, cinder block, a concrete block, and threw it through the windshield of my, my other uncle's brand-new Thunderbird. And I thought, oh, yeah, good family reunion. Here we go. We are dysfunctional. We, we function dangerously. But here's what I believe. I believe that all of us have dysfunction in our life, and I believe that dysfunction is anywhere we have departed from God's ways in our life. Anywhere where we don't have God's best in our life. The word sin actually it means miss the mark. One definition of it is any place where you don't have God's best, which means we're all guilty. Because you're like me, you'd say, you know what, there are areas in my life where I don't have God's best. Uh, and, and that's a blockage. That's the thing. It's not, and, and, uh, and look what in, in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6, one of the things Jesus died for, look at it. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The Lord said, doing it your way, Tony, is a sin. 
doing it your way is dysfunction. You are functioning, but you're functioning dangerously. Because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have rich and satisfying life. If you'll, find, if you'll pursue your destiny instead of your dysfunction. Then you, he said, and what is that? That's God's ways in my life. That's God's ways in my life. And I think there are two keys to, what time am I supposed to finish? Yeah, you don't want to say that to me. You want to give me a time, because really, we're supposed to be out of here at, at like 11.15, right? 12.15, whatever. 11.15 is official. Okay, all right. Y'all can hang with me till then, right? Okay, because I won't. I won't go on forever and ever. I promise you. I promise you. I'd like to get invited back. <laughs> but God gives us these two these two powerful keys, and the devil takes them. Two voices. The devil takes them and perverts them about whether you are empowering your destiny or your dysfunction, and they're called immersion and impartation. Immersion and impartation. And the thing you have to ask yourself is, okay, am I, am, am I empowering my destiny or am I empowering my dysfunction? Well, what are you immersed in? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that has this powerful principle. It says that we become like Christ by beholding Him by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it says you will become what you behold. You will become what you behold. And, and so that's the immersion principle, that whatever you're immersing yourself into, you will become like that. In the book of Esther, the story of Esther, remember, she's a little Jewish girl that finds favor with the king, and she becomes queen. She has this, you know, the, there's this beauty contest, she wins the beauty contest, she's the, show, she had, she's the little Jewish girl is now the queen. Of this, uh, you know, of this most powerful man, and there is this plot to to kill her people. There is, a, and I always get the names mixed up. Mordecai's the good guy, and what was the bad guy's name? Haman. There you go, Haman. All right, Haman's the bad guy, and Haman wants all the Jews killed. All throughout history, there's always somebody wants all the Jews killed, and I mean, it's just all throughout history. It's it's, it's their history because why? Because which is why I do not believe in replacement theology. Replacement theology says the church has replaced the, uh, the, the Jews as God's special possession. We have not. The Jews are his, still his special possession. We, get, we just got to be grafted into them. Okay? But all throughout history, that other voice has sought to destroy God's pride possession. The, the writer of Proverbs said this, whenever you declare a purpose in your life, you've declared war. And I had one time somebody, I told that somebody, I said, and they said, well, I'm just not going to declare a purpose. And I said, well, that really works great too. Then you have a purposeless life. And I said, but let me give you an example of how, why that doesn't work. And ben and I were talking about this this week. Holland, Holland in 1940-something, right before World War II broke out, Holland declared to the world, we are neutral. We're staying out of this fight. We don't, we're not taking a stand. Two days later, Hitler invaded them, and they were a Nazi country through until the Allies set them free. So you can say, well, I'm just not going to declare a purpose. You, you've already lost. You've already lost. But when you declare, I'm going to have God's best in my life, you understand, the, proverb, the writer of Proverbs says that when you declare a purpose, you declare war. You declare war. And, and so... What you immerse yourself in, so here's the Jews, they've had this war declared, and so now here's this plot to kill them all, Haman's got a plot, Mordecai, he's praying, and, and he, he actually prays that Esther finds favor with the king. Now, in, in Esther 4, I believe it's verse uh, 13, in Esther 4, verse 13, Mordecai's outside the gates, the plot is moving forward, she's in the palace, she's moved into the palace. And, and Mordecai is outside the gates, fasting, he's put on sackcloth and ashes. All her people are fasting and put on sackcloth and ashes. And Mordecai sends word to her, hey, you need to do something. And I want you to get what she does. She's sitting in the palace. What she has immersed herself into, she has become. She sends him out new clothes. She has become so dulled 
to what God's plan is because of what she's immersed in. Her kingdom of comfort has so dulled her senses, she don't even realize why she's there anymore. She sends him out new clothes because he's sitting at the gate in nasty clothes, fasting and praying for, for God to save him. And she sends out a servant, and Mordecai replies to her in verse 13. He says, he said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. He says, don't you be deceived into thinking that the, just because you've immersed yourself into the kingdom of comfort that the enemy is not going to kill you too. And listen, I think in the States especially, we've got to watch that kingdom of comfort thing. Our culture is a big enemy. And I love, I listen, listen, I have immersed myself into San Diego culture, not to the point of a, of a wetsuit, but the... I've immersed myself in San Diego. I'm really, I, you know, I don't know if Cheryl's going to come back. It's a great culture. We have a great culture in Villarica, but, but how many of you know our culture can lure us to sleep? The church becomes something we do. The writer of the message translation, I forget which passage is, he says, church is not peripheral to your life. Church is not something you fit into your life. Your life is peripheral to the church. You fit your life into the church. You quit trying to make room for church. You just make room for everything else. As a church. I don't believe you have to have an either or, but I believe it starts with the church is my life because it's where I find my power to, to go after the destiny that God has for me. What am I immersing myself into? Because whatever you, whatever you behold, you will become. And then the second one is impartation. That whatever you are beholding, whatever you are immersing will impart a power to you. Will impart a power to you. And, and, and we see it there with, with Esther. I mean, this was a good little Jewish girl who didn't even want to become queen. Now she's queen, immersed in the culture, and she's forgot about why she's there. And if you don't watch it, you get so immersed into your culture that you'll forget why you're here. You'll forget why you're here. Why'd God send you to Canvas? He didn't send you here to ride this seat to heaven. He sent you here to immerse yourself into the culture of Canvas, to love the Word, to love your church, to love the small groups, to love prayer, so that He could impart the power He needs for you to walk in your destiny instead of your dysfunction. Amen. And if you look at Acts 2.42, and we'll... Becca, are you going to play? Or if, if you don't, you can come on up now if you want to. I love, you know, the word says that uh, that when the, you know, there's this passage where somebody was discomforted, you know, and, and it says that as the, as the musician began to play, that the hand of God moved. And uh, I think sometimes... You know, because we have another, we have an enemy who tries to distort music. God invented music. God invented music. He he invented all the instruments. Each instrument has an anointing. You know, the stringed instruments have an anointing. They'll release peace in your life. The drums have an anointing. If you go look at the Bible, the drums have an anointing. Drums, when when drums are played under the anointing of God, walls come down. You know, the shout has a. In fact, if you'll notice. In the Old Testament, God never moves in the Old Testament without shouts of joy and sounds of music. And now the music a lot of times was just the music of voices. But shouts of joy. I, 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 you know, I grew up Southern Baptist. You know, in the South, if you're not Baptist, you're not saved. And, the, uh, and I grew up Southern Baptist. And, uh, and I grew up First Baptist. First Baptist, you know, it's a great church, and I appreciate my Baptist heritage. But, but then, you know, along my journey with Christ, I, I fell in love with His Word. And church began to be something I just didn't go do. It, wasn't just, it, wasn't, it was something I was. And along the lines there, I remember learning and coming into the presence of God. And I was a guy that, you know, when we sang, my hands were in my pocket if I sang at all because I'm first of all I'm rhythmically challenged if you want me to clap or you have, you know, if Becca said okay y'all clap and sing I'd have to say to her choose one which one do you want me to do and, and uh, 
and I had these voices of, you know, well, that's just not my personality. I'm just not a. Hey, they say, come on, let's clap. Well, I just don't do that. I'm kind of a hands-in-the-pocket worshiper. I'm worshiping on the inside. And I read this passage that says when, they, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, it says all the people were worshiping visibly. And, the, and it says the enemies of Jesus looked at them and said, we have lost. And the Holy Spirit quickened in me. He said, do you understand? God knows your heart, but the enemy doesn't. The enemy can only look at you and guess. What are you, what are you telling him that's going on in your heart? And he said, you know that when you, when you are active in your worship, you're sending a message to the enemies of Christ, you belong to him, and he'd be better off if he didn't mess with you today. He'd be better off if he didn't mess with you. And, and, and so I remember hearing that and realizing, okay, well, I'm going to start singing. And, 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 and I just, and then I remember this guy teaching one time and he said this statement that just impacted me because I was I, I grew up I was big into rock and roll and I went to all the concerts and, and, and you know I, I was a big Led Zeppelin fan big Leonard Skinner fan I went to both their concerts and man I'd clap for them I'd you know hold my lighter up and do all the stuff you know and and, uh, and he had a statement he said you know I clap for anybody and I thought yeah I do too I clap for Leonard Skinner I clap for Led Zeppelin he said I lift my hands to one I lift my hands to one. And then, and then I noticed in the Bible that God particularly calls out men on it. He said, I would that men everywhere would lift holy hands. It's almost like God, since He's the designer of us, He knew women really don't struggle with emotionally engaging with God. The men, that sometimes we kind of struggle with an emotional engagement with God. And He said, I, I would that men everywhere would lift holy hands. And I remember the first time I did it, I remember it was like as a, as, you know, I started out kind of like this, you know. And then it got a little higher. And then it got here. And then I remember when they were both up, you know. And it was like the higher I went, the closer heaven came. The closer heaven came. And that would have never happened had I not been immersed into a local church. It started empowering my destiny. I'm, I'm, I have a great life. I don't have a lot of money, but I got a great wife. I got great kids. My two oldest grandkids are here with us. They're just great. We, we lead a church that's a dream. I don't mean we don't ever have any problems, but we just lead a church that's just an amazing church. I, I've been through disaster, and every time I've been knocked down, I didn't get knocked out. I was pressed on all sides, but I wasn't crushed. I got back up. And, and we lead a church now that I just never dreamed we'd lead. And, and I get the opportunity to come and stand in front of you, people I didn't know, and just encourage you today. God has a destiny. And too often we spend our time empowering our dysfunction. And in Acts 2, in verse 42 through 47, you ought to look at this passage all week. Here's what blows me away about it. It says, And the believers formed a community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They loved the Word. They loved their church. They loved their small group. They loved prayer. They devoted themselves to it. Devoted means they continued steadfastly from ignorance to love. Because all of us started ignorance. I didn't even know I needed it. Then we moved to convenience. Well, I'm going to pray because I need to, or it's a 911 emergency. And then we moved from con- ignorance to convenience. We moved from ignorance convenience to obedience. We just, okay, God says I need to do it, so I'm going to do it. See, a lot of people are waiting to understand it. I just want to get you get this. Understanding always is preceded by obedience. If you're waiting until you get it to do it, you'll never do it. I have, I've been saved now for years, and I still don't get it. How, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, did He snatch me right out of my unrighteousness and deliver me into righteousness? How did He turn me from filthiness to wholeness? How did He take a broken vessel and turn him into a whole vessel? How did He take me who was hell-bound and doing my best to get there and turn me into heaven-bound and heaven In a moment, just like that, just with, just with His work, His blood work, nothing I could do, something He'd already done. I don't get all that, I just, but I'm going to love it. I'm going to embrace it. And so, you know, we moved from ignorance. I didn't even know I needed to be in a small group. I didn't even know I needed 
to be to be praying. I didn't even know I needed to read the Word every day. Till we moved to, to convenience, I'll come to church when it's convenient. I'll come to church when it's not as pretty outside. I'll come to church when it's not convenient. Till we move to obedience, I'm going to go to church because the Bible says that as the end times grow near, you ought to be in church even more. Now, I'm no end time theologian. I have a doctorate in theology, but I don't spend a whole lot of time. But I can tell you this, here's a very profound statement we are closer to the end today than we were yesterday okay. and so the Bible says as the end draws nearer you should make a point of being together more okay so I begin to obey and then I find out that in this I find the power to be a great husband that when I hang out with iron sharpening iron I find out the power to stay morally pure I find out how to walk by the temptations that I'm going to face at work I find that in this in this community of believers. And then I begin to get understanding that you know what? God's destiny is better for me than my dysfunction. His ways are better for me than my ways. I begin to actually get it. I begin to actually believe He really does love me. He really does love me. I really am the apple of His eye. I really am the pearl of great price that He paid everything for to buy the field so He could get me. Whoa! That just, yeah. Woo. And I get an understanding He's for me. And once I get an understanding, then I move to devotion, love. I love praying. I love the Word. I love gathering together. And I mean, Really, I could stay here all day. We're not going to, and I'm going to let you go. But I could. Because I can't think of any place I'd rather be than in the presence of God. Right here with you. Jesus said, wherever two or three of you gather together, there I will be in the midst of you. Where else would I want to be? And, 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 and I just love it. And it is empowering my destiny. And here's the kicker. I'm not even having to work on my dysfunction. All I've done is make room for Jesus. He handles all the dysfunction. That more and more as I move closer and closer to Him, I stand in His presence. I stand in His presence. Can we sing that last chorus that we sung? Can we do that? I want to challenge you to do something. I don't know where you stand in, in your relationship with God. But before we start, I just believe God wants to remove some blockages. And I believe blockages, one of the ways to remove it is to put ourselves in an attitude of worship. And I want to ask you to do something. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're a, a hands-in-the-pocket guy. I never sing. I never do. Maybe you're this kind of guy. Maybe you're this kind of guy. Maybe you're all in. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing this chorus again. Maybe you've never sung out loud. I'm just going to tell you something. God thinks your voice is beautiful. I remember when my kids would sing. Even if they were stinking it up, I thought they were wonderful. And I'll just tell you something. I just believe it. Here's what I challenge you to do. Do something you haven't done before. Maybe you need to jump. Maybe you need to shout. Maybe you, you know, maybe you need to kneel. But don't just do what you always do. Nobody can make God move, but everybody can make room for God to move. And He is, in, he is enthroned on the praises of His people. That when you begin to praise God, when you begin to worship God, you all the furniture gets drug out of the way and you can hear in the heavenlies the red carpet being rolled out and the angels ushering in the throne of the king and you can hear all of the thousands of see well, right now this room is filled we don't see it but it's filled with angels because Jesus said he, had, he put it on his calendar before you were born and he was going to meet with you here today you have a divine appointment see you know what disappointment is disappointment means you missed an appointment don't miss your appointment today he has a divine appointment with you today. And they're moving the throne into place. And as we begin to worship, the throne of the king comes into the room. And if we were in England or Britain when the king walked into the room, what would everybody in this room do? If the king or the queen walked into the room in a, in a, in a sovereign king, everybody in this room would rise to their feet immediately because it's the king. And we give honor to the king. And we would just say, we're going to honor the king. We're going to make room for the king. Make room. Now, I don't know about you, but here's my challenge to you. How many of you could have even more of God than you have today? How many of you would wave your hand at me and say, I could have more of God. It would, it would do my life good if I had more of God than I have today. Okay, then let's make room 
for the king. And here's what I want you to do. Sing it out loud. Sing it with passion. Let the Holy Spirit come to you. is washing over me. Your face is all I see. prophesy to every person here today. I just speak your word. Your word says that if you're going to speak, speak as an oracle of God. Father, I release your Holy Spirit right now in a, in a deeper wave. <laughs> deep calls to deep and your waves are billowing over us right now. Lord, I just pray right now. We release your Spirit in our lives, Lord, to remove blockages. That right now, Lord, I just want you in your, in your eye, in your heart right now, I just want you to, what is the blockage God's brought to your mind today. What is the blockage? And I want you to just submit it to him right now. God, here we go. And listen, he's not asking you to do any work. He's just asking you to make room for the king. Because when the king comes in, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. No, every name that is named must bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you got a health issue. This you just say, man, it's stopping me from having God. Then call that name out and say, this thing's got to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Right now, speak to the blockage. Speak to the blockage in your life. Speak to the blockage in your life. Lord, we just speak to it. Your word says that we speak to mountains and they'll be cast into the sea. God, it's you. It's your faith. Faith of God rise up on the inside of us. We are. We are your children. We are called by your name. We are the apple of your eye. We are the pearl of great price. You paid everything. You swapped the priceless for the worthless. God, today, we stand and we say we belong to you. And we will have your destiny in our lives. We lay aside our plans. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord, create a love in us for your word. Create a love in us for your church like never before. Create a love in us for connecting with other believers in small groups. Lord, create a love in us for prayer like we've never had before. Empower our destiny, Lord. We just thank you for it. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing it again. One more time. that moment as he began to say that God gave me a picture in my mind and 
I believe that there are some of you here this morning that the very desire we have here at Canvas Church is that you would come to discover Jesus Christ. And that there are those of you here today that you've discovered Jesus. You've found your life in Him. Amen? And as we discover Jesus and who He is, then we move and we take the next step and we realize our purpose. And there are some that you've realized your purpose. You've, you've come to discover that God has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. And it's in that moment that you've, you've discovered that and you begin to take steps toward that. I, as Pastor Tony shared, it's as though all hell has broken loose in your life. And that there literally has been a war, a, a, a battles that you've been fighting. The moment that you begin to grab hold of that purpose and you begin to pursue that destiny that God has for you. It's like all hell has broken loose. And God showed me a picture. He showed me a picture of people. raising the white flag. There's some of you here that you've got the white flag of surrender and you've lifted it up, but you've lifted it up to the wrong person. That the battles of, you've been, you've been fighting some battles and the war has been waged and you've begun to lift up that white flag of surrender to the enemy saying, I just give up. This is, this is too hard. I just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to battle anymore. I don't want to go through this fight anymore. And you started wagging the white flag of surrender. But God said, no, 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 no. I want you to wag the, wave the white flag of surrender, but I want you to wave it to me. Because the moment you wave the white flag of surrender to him, come on, that's the moment you step into victory. That's it. It's so, our minds don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. But the moment in God's kingdom that we begin to lift the white flag of surrender to him, we begin to lift our hands, our holy hands. We begin to lift up those hands and worship. What is, what is, what, what, the, the lifting of and the raising of hands is a universal sign of surrender. Universal sign of surrender. My brother is a police officer here in San Diego. When somebody's doing something wrong and, and he's about to arrest them, he says what? He says, lift up your hands. They lift up their hands. It's a sign to surrender, but God says, no, I want you to raise it to me. Because when you lift up that, those hands, that sign of surrender to him, it's that moment we say, God, we give up trying to, to make this happen on our own and in our own strength. God, we, we, we surrender to you that we realize that our purpose, our destiny is found in you in no other place but in you. And God, so we surrender to you today. We know that this battle is yours, that the victory is yours, that Jesus already obtained the victory for you. The battles that you've been waging, the, the, the battle that's been waged against you, you have already won in Jesus. You've already won it in Jesus, so pull that white flag of surrender down. That white flag that you've been waving to the enemy, pull it down and begin to lift up those hands and surrender to your King, your God, who has already won the victory for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.